All right, this is week four in Jude, our study in Jude called Contending for the Faith. And we're going through Jude verse by verse. And Jude wrote this letter, as we've learned, to, uh, to bless us and to warn us. And if you're looking up Jude, it's, you go to Revelation, the end, and it's the, the book right before Jude. And uh, uh, it's uh, right before Revelation. Sorry. Thank you. See, you guys are helping me. Uh, and um, it's a short book. It's only one chapter long. And in verse 3, Jude said, I felt compelled, compelled, compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Like us, the early church faced threats from inside and outside the church, and they had to struggle to live out their faith in a godly way, in a way that was consistent with the, the Word of God and consistent with the truth that God had delivered to the saints. And we've learned that in order for us to contend for the faith, that's to fight, we've got to understand that we are fighting who we are fighting against and how to respond to those who attack the basic doctrines and the teachings of the Christian faith. So I'm teaching today, preaching today, a sermon entitled Strategies for Contending for the Faith. Jude actually taught the first step. In, in the first part of this book, from verses 5 to 16, teaching us to be aware. Be aware of false teachers, false prophets. He showed us their errors. We went into those in detail. He showed us their errors. He showed, showed us uh, how to recognize them and when we see them. He showed us the destruction that they bring upon themselves and to those that follow them. He is warning us to not stray from the basic Christian doctrines and truth. And then beginning in verse 17, Jude begins to give us other strategies for contending for the faith. And the first strategy we use to contend for the faith I'm talking about today is the Word of God. Here's what he said. Dear friends, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or remember the words that the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. We must, in order to contend for the faith, remember the Word. And he's talking also about prophecies, prophecies about the end time, things that were foretold to us so that we would not be caught off guard. None of the things that Jude writes about were a surprise to God. And it should not be a surprise to us because he warned us about this. He warned the church about this centuries ago. God is never caught off guard. God is never, what just happened? God knows the end from the beginning. And we should be able to not be caught off guard because we have the prophetic words of the apostles and our Lord Jesus Christ himself. But do you know what the biggest problem, the, I believe the biggest problem is when it comes to contending for the faith? Remember, I'm talking about contending for the body of truth, the basic doctrines that were once for all delivered to us. Once for all, once for everyone, once for all time. There's, there's no new truths coming along. It's already been delivered. The big problem is most Christians do either do not know that truth or they do not believe that truth or they do not obey the truth. Now I want to talk to you about worldview for a moment because every person has a worldview. A worldview is defined as a belief system by which you view the world and your life in it. Your worldview, the way you view the world, drives your decisions and the, the, the decisions that you make and the actions that you take. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you truly believe, you will do. So a biblical worldview is a, a worldview that's based on the Bible. It has a view that absolute truth exists, 
and that that truth is revealed in God's Word. Most of the world and many people who call themselves Christians these days do not believe in absolute truth. To which I always ask them, are you absolutely sure? Because what you said just there was an absolute truth. Many, many American Christians think they have a biblical view. Even many American Christians, many Americans do, but very few do. I showed you a few weeks ago some shocking research that revealed that less than half of American pastors have a biblical worldview. Remember that? Shocking. Shocking, shocking. You think that's bad? What percentage of Americans who call themselves Christians do you think have a biblical worldview? Somebody give me a guess. Today, 176 million people claim to be Christians. That's 69% of the American population, yet only 6% of all adults and 9% of those who call themselves Christians have a biblical worldview. According to a study and research done by George Barna and the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, the same ones who did the research on pastors decided to do the research on believers. And what's happening in the pastors and in the pulpits is filtering down to the believers. And it's magnified in the believers. The lack of a biblical worldview. Here's what Barna said. Two out of three Americans think of themselves as Christian. And the majority still think that Christianity is is kind of about the Bible. (laughs) But there's a big gap between what self-identified Christians believe the Bible may teach and what the Bible actually teaches. Listen, this is research. Now, this is, it starts off good. 61% of those who self-identify as Christians affirm that I believe God is all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, the just creator of the universe who still rules the universe today. 61%. That's good. That's great. It's awesome that they believe that. But a large percentage of those same people have many beliefs that are not in harmony with God's word. Here's what I'm going to include out of these people. Here's what they believe. 72%, these are the people who claim to be Christians, believe that people are basically good. 66% say that having faith matters more than which faith you have. As long as you have some faith. 64% said all religious faiths are of equal value. I'm talking about people who call themselves Christians. 58% believe, of Christians, believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way to heaven. 57% of people who call themselves Christians in America believe in karma, which is basically about reincarnation. A lot of them don't even know what they're talking about when they say, I believe it. And not surprisingly, the research found that The adults without a biblical worldview and those with a biblical worldview had vastly different viewpoints about what was an immoral and unethical behavior. For instance, those without a biblical worldview were a hundred times more likely to endorse endorse abortion than those with a biblical worldview. Eighty times more likely to say pornography is morally acceptable. 31 times more likely to believe that living together before marriage is morally acceptable. 15 times more likely to believe that homosexual sex is acceptable. 18 times more likely to endorse drunkenness. 12 times more likely to accept profanity. 11 times more likely to say adultery is okay. 
Here's Barna's conclusion. The primary reason that people do not act like Jesus is because they don't think like Jesus. Behavior stems from what we think, our attitudes, beliefs, values, and opinions. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if we're going to contend for the faith, we've got to know what the faith is. And knowing what the faith is requires us to know the truths, the principles, the doctrines of the Word of God. That's why we work hard on sermons that teach you every week. That's why we have small groups on Wednesday night to come in here and discuss what we taught and reinforce biblical truth and to let you ask any questions you may have because we don't want you to just have the questions. We want you to get some answers. Listen, Satan knows about all this and he's been very successful evidently at deceiving many Christians and blinding them to the truth. And it's only the light of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that can open your eyes and lead you into truth. Every time you open this Word, which I hope you're doing on a regular basis, because if you do not, you have nothing to to fight with. You should be asking the Lord, open my eyes, open my heart, open my ears. I want to hear you. I want to see you. I want to receive your Word and your truth. And Satan fights against that. That's why it's so hard for you to read your Bible. Satan fights it. The first mention of Satan is found in Genesis 3.1. And the law of first mention is a very important law of hermeneutics, of Bible interpretation. The first time something happens kind of sets a precedent, a pattern for the rest of the Scripture. And the first time we see Satan, he's in the form of a, of a serpent. He's, he, he's disguising himself. He, he's trying to trick people. And he, the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman, can it really be? The King James says, hath God said? Did God really say? You cannot eat from every tree of the garden. You see what Satan attacks? Satan attacks the word of God. He attacks it with his words. And he wants to keep you out of God's word. And if he can't do that, he's going to work at twisting God's word to make you believe something that is not true. Satan knows the word of God. Satan used the word of God in every temptation with Jesus. But Jesus overcame him with a true interpretation of the the faith. He contended with the Word of God. We've got to be so familiar with the Word of God that we recognize the words of the enemy. We've got to be so familiar with the truth that we recognize lies. We need to be so familiar with the voice of God that we recognize the counterfeit voice of the enemy. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, the Bible talks about men who are false apostles, deceitful working workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, listen, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He don't show up in a red suit, horns, and a pitchfork with a tail. He shows up looking like something that is true and right. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Listen, there's not one kind of spiritual experience or ministry position that Satan will not try to counterfeit. He tries to counterfeit everything from salvation to the gifts of the Spirit. Back in the old days, before they had those pins that you could uh, tell what counterfeit money was, they had to train bank tellers how to detect counterfeit money. 
And you would think they'd just sit them down in a classroom and show them, a, give them a lecture on how to detect counterfeit money. And they did do that. That had to be done. But the problem was that counterfeiters, counterfeiters were constantly coming up with new ways to deceive people. Listen. So what they had these bank tellers do is spend their days handling real money. Handle it, handle it, handle it, touch it, feel it, see what it's like, look at it. So whenever they came across a fake, it would be like, they're like whoa, 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 whoa. Something's a little off here. They use the real to show them what is fake. They had so much experience with the real that the false became obvious. And the Bible tells us to do the same thing. We should be so familiar with the Word of God that the lie seems obvious. And a person could come to you looking like a prophet, talking like a prophet, looking like a preacher, talking like a preacher, saying the right stuff, but something, you ever had it? Somebody tell you something that seemed right, but just something inside of you said, no, I don't know. There's not something right of, something not right about that. God wants you to have discerning of spirits. And some of that discernment comes through spending through reason of use, the Bible says. We exercise ourselves to understand how to stand against the false. Romans 16, 19 says, I want you to be wise as what is good and innocent about what is evil. Well, a lot of people spending their whole time studying about evil stuff and the bad stuff and, 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 and all this stuff that we, should need, we need to be fighting. I don't, I'm not saying be ignorant towards it. But be wise about what is good. When you're familiar with good, then the, the, the evil is obvious. When you're familiar with right, then wrong is obvious. When you're familiar with truth, then the lie is obvious. When you're familiar with the real, the counterfeit is obvious. Now listen, I'm very concerned about a generation coming up right now that, the believe, that believes the Bible's outdated and irrelevant to current times. Well, that's just an old book. Oh, that's an ancient book. You better believe it's an ancient book. But it was written by an eternal God. People don't understand eternity. They, they just think it means a long time. And no, it means God is outside of time. He has no end, no beginning. He doesn't experience uh, the, the passing of time. God didn't have to turn a clock back last night. God's not up there thinking, man, when's this guy going to finish this sermon? God's not, God's, not, God's not worried about all that. He knows the end from the beginning. So when God inspired the people to write the Bible, he did so from an eternal perspective. That means God was very aware of the times we're living in right now. When he has somebody write and a bunch of people write three, thousands of years ago. So the book that he wrote that God inspired applies to all people in all places at all times. It's the unchanging revelation of an eternal God. And we've got to base our life on this truth. Yet so many people are rejecting, so many who call themselves Christians are rejecting God's voice and, and they're susceptible to counterfeits. It's amazing how many Christians put their trust in things like psychics, fortune telling, tarot cards, palm readers, horoscope. I got to look up my horoscope today. I, I don't have time to preach on today. Look up astrologers in the Bible. Look it up in a concordance and see what it says. It's not some innocent little thing. All this is the opposite of what God wants. When you come to Jesus, you, you change kingdoms. 
The kingdom of Satan is darkness. The kingdom of God is light. When you're saved, you come out of darkness into light. Colossians 1.13 says he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. God saved us from darkness. He wants us to have nothing to do with darkness. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Stop hanging out with them. But rather, expose them. In contending for the faith, we're going to have to expose some darkness in order to save some people. Acts 26, 18 says, I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's the commission that we have on our life, to go out and bring light into this dark world. Satan's goal is to extinguish the light of God, but when we walk in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Pastor Anthony preached on an awesome sermon last week. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. I don't have time to talk about all this light today because we talked about it last week. But one of the main ways we walk in light is by walking in the Word. Psalm 119, 104, and 105 says, through your precepts, your principles, I get understanding. If you need some understanding, you better get in some Word. Therefore, I hate every false way. Do you hate every false way? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's how, that, that's how we overcome darkness. It's walking in the light of God's word. That's how we contend for the faith. And we've got to do that contending. We've got to take a stand inside and outside the church. Well, how can you do it outside the church? Well, here's one thing you can do. Vote biblically. Your voting should not be based on a person or a party or anything else. It should be based on the Bible. You should be looking up every issue. I know the major issues that are going on in the world in America right now, people are concerned about the economy and inflation. They're concerned about, about crime. They're concerned about uh, uh, abortion. Well, you need to look up what, what, are people's what are people's stands? Who's taking a, a biblical stand on that? Are, are people taking a stand against the killing of unborn children? You need to look at that. You need to look at who's for or against religious liberty. You need to look where people stand on sexual identity issues, on crime. It's important. Crime is running rampant. We should not be surprised. They're having to shut down stores. All, like in San Francisco, they had to shut down a, a whole bunch of stores because the, the, the DA there will not prosecute any theft under $1,000. So people are going into a store with a calculator, getting a, a, a card, and buying $990 worth of stuff. Not buying, taking $990 worth of stuff and walking out of the store and, with, with, and nobody stopping them. And uh, stores are going out of business that we can't, because they can come and do that every day. And the Bible says, and we're, we're, we're surprised that crime's getting worse. Oh, we, won't, we don't want to prosecute the little stuff. Now listen, here's what the Bible says. Look it up. When the sentence against a crime is not executed speedily, man's heart is set on evil. That's Bible. That's Bible. And we're voting in people that don't want to prosecute people because they do crimes. Well, we're gonna, what are we going to reap when we do that? We're going to reap a harvest of criminals with their hearts set on evil. Ain't nobody going to do nothing. We've got to look at those things when it comes to voting. There's other things you can do. Get involved with your child's school. Get involved with PTA. Get involved with school board meetings. There's things you can do. We've got to take a stand outside. We've got to take a stand inside the church. And we do that by remembering the prophecies of the Bible. 
In verse 18, Jude said, Jude said, they say to you, in the last days there will be scoffers who follow their ungodly desires. He's saying, here's what the prophets were prophesying about. The word scoffers mean mockers, false teachers who despise Christianity, the word of God, and the truth. And not only do they despise those things, they ridicule those things, they make fun of them, they put them down. Now, here's what I did. Uh, Red is scriptures on my notes, and you see this page, this page is all red. I mean, I'm fixing to read you a bunch of Bible. Because I went, I did your work for you. I did your work for you. I looked up every verse talking about end times, false teachers, false prophets, and scoffers in the New Testament. So you can take a picture of it right here. You can look at the notes when we have on Wednesday night. You can listen later online. But this is the stuff they said remember. They, say, they want you to remember the whole word. But specifically, these last times words. Paul warned the believers in Acts 20. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. The Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 3, you must understand in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 24. At the time, at that time, talking about the end times, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Second Peter, Peter again said this in Second Peter 2, there, also, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly in- introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. And listen, it's not going to get any better. We've been warned, 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 14. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. He goes on to commend Timothy who had known the scriptures from his youth. He said, continue in what you've been taught. First Timothy 4, 1 and 2, the spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits being taught by demons. It's happening all around us. Such teaching come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And lastly, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them Facebook teachers and YouTube teachers and anybody they want to hear with a great number of them to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Brothers and sisters, that time has come. And if we're going to contend for the faith, we've got to have some spiritual discernment. We've got to tell the difference between true and false, but there's a lot of reasons it's not happening because so many people who say they're believers don't believe in absolute truth. They believe in moral relativism, and you've got your truth, and I've got my truth, and there's a lack of spiritual maturity in churches, and there's a failure to correctly interpret the Bible, and there's a decreased focus on doctrine and and its importance. Listen, we're going to have an increase in, in, in the importance of doctrine in this church because that doctrine is what is taught, and it's the principle 
principles of the truth that we believe based on the Word of God. And Paul said to Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. Reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, the Christian may be complete, that's mature, thoroughly equipped for every good week. We're going to contend for the faith. We've got to pay attention to doctrine, to what we believe. First Timothy 4.16 says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. If we don't get grounded in true doctrine and sound doctrine, we're going to be susceptible to counterfeit to the enemy. And easily deceived. And Jude talked about those teachers. He said they're just following their own ungodly desires. Ungodly means a lack of reverence towards God that causes you to act in simple ways. He goes on to say this in verse 19. Those are, these are the men who will divide you, who follow more natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So he's taking one last swipe at the false teachers here. Pointing, how the, pointing out how they cause division among believers. Why? Because they follow their own ungodly desires and their natural instincts, and they lack the Holy Spirit. A lack, the absence of the Holy Spirit, will always result in unholy living. And false teachers don't have to be overtly evil. They can just follow their natural instincts. Hey, listen, beware the natural man. They say, just do what comes natural. No, you better not. The Bible contrasts the natural man and the spiritual man. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words with which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Listen, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? That's, what that's talking about is people out there who think they know more than God. Now, God, if you would just listen to me. Come on, you know you've done that before. God, if you would just do it this way. God, if you would just answer this prayer right now, this way, through this person. Jesus is going to tell God what to do. Who knows the mind of the Lord that you may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here Paul is comparing the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man, which in the Greek is sukakos. It comes from the word psyche, from which we get psychology. It's talking about the soul. It's talking about the mind, the will, and emotion. And the natural man is governed by their own thoughts, their own mind, their own will, their own feelings. And Paul contrasts that with a spiritual person, pneumatikos, those who belong to and have the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, those who are governed by God, governed by the Word of God, those whose minds are renewed, by the Spirit, those whose feelings and will are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is the spiritual man, and that is why we have the mind of Christ. But Jude tells us there's these other men, and they're just natural men. They don't even have the Spirit of God. And the, res the result of their teaching, watch it, the result of their kind of teaching is always division in the church. And this word divisions means making distinctions between people. These, these type of teachers are elitists. They think they're better than others. These are Gnostics who think they have secret knowledge that, that none of the rest of us have. It's some secret stuff that, that we don't get the privy to, but they know it. And if we would follow them, then we could know what they know. If you hear somebody say that, run, 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 run. They're only following their ungodly ways and their natural instinct. They lack the Holy Spirit. It's going to result in destruction. But Jude tells us, hey, forget about following that. Remember the word of the Lord. Remember the word. 
And the only way to remember the Word is to have the Word in you. You've got to get it in you. You've got to spend time in the book. And listen, God is giving us advanced knowledge of the enemy's plans. We're not ignorant of his devices, of his plans, of his schemes. I love history, and I love studying Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. And the bloodiest day of the Civil War was a battle of Antietam in 1862. It lasted 12 hours, and 23,000 men were killed or wounded. It was basically a, a draw. Nobody had technically won. But the Union general was a very mediocre general. He was not good at all. Lincoln was very frustrated at him. Lincoln kept changing generals till he found somebody who would fight. McClellan let him fight. He just always planned. But somebody, he, this, this weak general was able to defeat the brilliant Robert E. Lee, able to repel that attack and forcing him to retreat across the Potomac. How was it possible? Well, Robert E. Lee had issued a, a, a set of special secret orders of a campaign that they were going to take from the south into the north to try to do one big swoop to defeat the north. And he told everybody who got those plans, destroy them. One guy even ate the plans. One guy burned it. One guy kept his and just wrapped it around a cigars, some cigars and put it in his pocket. And unbeknownst to him, it fell out. It's a conf Confederate officer. A Union soldier found it. Hey, I'm some cigars. But then he looked at the paper it was wrapped around, and it was a special order from Robert E. Lee to all his troops about gave word by word, step by step, their plan of attack. By knowing the enemy's plan in advance, a mediocre general was victorious. And in some respects, we're no match for, for Satan, who we're told to be wary of, but we do have authority over him. And just as General McClellan had the enemy's plans fall into his hands, we had the enemy's plans fall into our hands because God shows, us to them, shows it to us in his word. We know his strategies. We know his devices. With such knowledge, we can contend for the faith and resist the enemies of God. So when you hear the false teaching saying grace gives you license to sin, you remember the word that grace teaches you to say no to sin, and grace is the power to resist sin. And when you hear the false teaching that there are many ways to God and salvation, you remember the word that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. When you hear the false teaching that everyone has their own truth, it doesn't matter what you believe. And whatever you believe is going to get you to God. You remember that God's word is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And any belief opposed to God and the word of God and his spirit and Jesus Christ is not the truth of all at all. So we can contend for the faith with confidence because we remember the word of God. We believe the word of God. We obey the word of God. We speak the word of God. We fight. We war with the word of God. And when we do that, we overcome the enemy as we contend for the faith. Hallelujah. Amen. In Jesus' name. Stand to your feet.